Uh, one thing we try and make sure we do each week at Christchurch is um, preach from a passage of the Bible. So it's God's word, not mine, that's setting the agenda. And over the next four weeks, we're following a little theme uh, really on uh, called Encounters with God. What's it like to meet God? So I'm going to read today from Mark's Gospel. If you've got a Bible on your uh, chair, I'd like to turn to the Gospel of Mark and chapter 1. Uh, it's on page uh, 800. And 37, 837 of the Church Bibles. Page 837. I'm just going to read a short account of a leper uh, who came to meet Jesus. Mark, who wrote this gospel, was a, a friend of the Apostle Peter. So, in many senses, Mark's gospel is it's Peter's gospel. It's an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. I'm going to read uh, from verse 40. So, small number 40 in that left hand column there, page 837. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let me pray once more before we uh, think about this passage together. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. Father God, your mercies are new every morning. And so we pray for more mercy now. All we can do to glorify you is to ask for more. We can bring nothing. And we ask now that you would give us the mercy of knowing Jesus better, of knowing you are God better, because of these words you have spoken. Bless us through your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What's it like to meet God. Uh, We seem very different as people, don't we? Uh, We come from different countries, perhaps speak different languages, different backgrounds, different ages, different skin tones and colours. But once you get to to know people, you you find out very often that that under the skin, deep down, human beings have an awful lot in common. And one of the things that they have in common whether they're born in 2000 in in Essex or whether they're born uh, 800 years ago uh, in Africa, or whether they come from the east or the west, the north or the south, they have the same questions. Why am I here? How can I be happy? What's What's the point of my life? What am I here for? What am I meant to do with my life? And one of the questions that that, that human beings have wrestled with all the way down the centuries is, is there a God? And if so, what is he like? That that is our question this morning. What is he like? What is it like to meet God? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself that question? What what would it actually be like? There are very very few people in the world, very few societies, probably almost no societies in fact, uh, that have been genuinely atheistic, denied God entirely. 
So what would it be like to meet him? Face to face, you and him. No one else there. No protection, nowhere to hide, just you and God. Over the next uh, three weeks after this, we're going to tease that out in different ways. We're going to ask the question, what would it be like to meet God with my history? Given the kind of life I've lived, with what I've done, what would that be like? We're going to ask the question, what's it like, or what would it be like to meet God when death draws near? I mean, it was in the dream of very young, and death seems like a long way away. But you don't have to be uh, too sober-minded to know that actually death can come at any time. And then finally, we'll, we'll ask the question, what's it like to meet God when I feel helpless, totally helpless? But this morning, it's a more, cent- more central question, I suppose. Just what is it like to meet God? And I'd suggest to you it's a haunting question for many of us. It's a haunting question. What will he do with me? Will he accept me? Will he destroy me? Will he welcome me? Will he condemn me? Uh, the passage we read this morning, I think, gives us some great answers it's a passage, a story about a man who meets God. The Christian faith has always held that Jesus Christ was not just a man, not just a, a prophet, not just a holy teacher, but was God come to earth. So when this leper, this man with this skin disease, meets Jesus, he is meeting God in the flesh. A God who hasn't stayed hidden behind the clouds out there in the far distances of the galaxy, but a God who has come down to earth in order that we might know him. And he has that haunting question. Will I be accepted? Uh, we're told in verse 40, he's, he's a leper. Uh, he has some sort of, of skin disease. And in the religious system of, of the day, that would make him an outcast. Uh, it meant he couldn't live in a house with those who didn't have leprosy. He couldn't live in a village or a town. He'd be out in an encampment away from town. He'd have to cover his face, wear something that sounds um, sort of spooky, like the kind of face mask we've got used to wearing. Uh, nowadays, he wouldn't be able to join the, the synagogue, the, the place of worship for the Jewish people. Uh, he'd be a total outcast. Imagine some of you perhaps lived on your own in lockdown. And for a week, it's kind of fun and you binge on Netflix and it's quite a nice time to go to awkward meetings and all the rest. But after two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, it gets soul destroying, doesn't it? Well, this man, whatever age he was, had lived that kind of lifestyle for years, perhaps decades. Uh, all he's known is rejection. That might be the story for some of you here this morning, that, that actually all you've really known in life is rejection. Perhaps from those who ought to love you, but didn't. Uh, perhaps driven in large part by your own fears, never quite willing to open up to people because of the fear of what will happen. And I think you can sense that fear in his question. Do you see it in verse 40? Uh, the leper comes to Jesus and implores him, kneels before him and asks, if you will, you can make me clean. He, he knows Jesus is powerful. He doesn't seem to doubt Jesus' power, does he? You, you can make me clean. Perhaps he's seen or, or heard of some of the other miracles that have happened in Mark's gospel already. Uh, Jesus has done some pretty extraordinary things. Again, many of us are like that. We, we don't doubt there is a God up there. We, we don't know what he's like. He, he's powerful and, and mighty, but he seems distant. And our question is not so much over his power, but over his character, his goodness. Are you willing to heal me? I know you can, but are you willing? How will God react to someone so, so unclean, so corrupt, so, so disgusting? 
Or have you ever been in a situation where uh, someone has come towards you and you, you've, you've almost felt repelled? Uh, to my shame, it's happened to me once. I remember I was, in a, I was in a different country and I met someone who was hugely overweight, um, sweating, had, a, had all sorts of sort of horrible flaky skin diseases going on. And he moved towards me and put his hand out. And just for a moment, I, I hesitated to my shame before, before putting my hand out. This man had only ever seen people shy away. Keep back, leper, keep back. How would God treat him? How would the one who throughout Mark's gospel so far has been described as holy, who is totally pure, who had none of this corruption? And again, we, we don't want to distance ourselves too much from the leper. I suspect not many of us suffer that kind of disease here this morning. But actually, the, the problem for the leper was, was really only outward. As I said, in the, in the sort of ceremonial system of the day, he was ceremonially unclean. But, but no one thought he'd done anything morally wrong. It wasn't his fault he was a leper. It's not, it's not bad to have leprosy, is it? It's just unfortunate. Uh, there were various things in uh, the, the system of his day that would make you this kind, of, this, this kind of unclean, this kind of unclean that would mean you couldn't get near other people or go to, the, to worship at, at the equivalent of church of the day. Uh, those things were either coming into contact with a dead body or kind of bodily emissions. So things that were a normal part of life, again, not wrong, not bad, but in the system of the day made you ceremonially clean. Things like uh, menstruation or uh, emission of semen uh, or blood coming out of you or leprous skin breaking out. Basically anything where something came from the out inside of you out made you ceremonially unclean. It meant you couldn't come and worship at the temple. Why? Again, not because, we must misunderstand this, it's not because the Old Testament is full of horrible rules and sort of blames you for, I don't know, something oozing out of you. No, of course not. But rather it was always a picture of something far more serious. And Jesus himself preaches on exactly this issue. A bit later in Mark's Gospel in chapter 7, he's dealing with people who are saying that kind of various foods make you unclean. And he says, look, actually what comes out of a person is what makes him unclean. For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they make us unclean. Don't worry, Jesus is saying ultimately about skin diseases and bodily emissions. They were only ever pictures of something far more significant and true for all of us. And that is that on the inside, we are not as we should be. On the inside, we're dirty. It's like when you sort of squeeze our hearts, what comes out? It's like squeezing a water bottle that's been filled, not with nice, pure, clean tap water, but filled with muddy water from a puddle. And you squeeze it and it out oozes all this kind of gunk and mud. That is what we're all like. Jesus doesn't have a very high view of us in many ways. He loves us. He comes to rescue us. But he's very honest, brutally honest. We're not the people we ought to be. And actually that, rather than feeling totally condemned, at this stage I think already we should be feeling there's some good news here. I perhaps we begin to think, okay, I've not been to church before. This is just what I expected. Some guy pops up at the front and tells me how awful I am. Well, yes and no. Yeah, you are awful and so am I. Okay, I'm under no illusions that that you're more awful than me or anything like it. But rather, Jesus' analysis of both of us, his x-ray vision that sees to our heart, is good news, isn't it? It means we don't have to hide anything. 
he knows already what you're like. You might be able to hide the worst thing you've done and thought and said from your wife or husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your children, your parents, your closest friends. You can hide all sorts. We're geniuses at it, aren't we? We put on these masks to cover up. These geishas used to paint their face white underneath the, the, the face would be sort of pockmarked. Or the Greek actors who would hold up the kind of smiley face mask in front of their face. We cover ourselves up and we can hide from one another, but not from God. He knows what we are like. And yet still Jesus is here. He's not running from the scene. But because we know that our hearts are like that, like that water bottle full of muck and gunk and muddy water, it it drives us to think that we must run from God. We mustn't come near one who is so clean and pure and mighty. It drives us to fear, in other words, and to flight. As the writer called Peter Kreeft. And um, he says that the, the, the modern kind of mania with social media and Netflix and all this kind of thing, just, just the, the constant bombardment with images and noise and sound and movie, movies, it, it is all part of our desire to stay busy and distracted. I think he's probably right, isn't he? If you think about it, you, you have in your house, even if it's the worst grotty student dump of a place, okay, you've really bottomed out the market, you have in your house things that your grandparents and great-parents couldn't even dream of. Okay, it took, took my grandma all day to wash the clothes okay, in the house. Just needed a whole day for it because you didn't have a washing machine or anything like it. Okay, no hot water system. Uh, most of us, if, you know, whatever it is, once a term you can bung the clothes in the wash you know and out they come clean Uh, you have central heating and gas cookers microwaves we have all sorts of machines that should make our life quicker perhaps dishwashers and everything as well all sorts of things that should make our life quicker give us more free time and yet what do you what does everybody say when you say how are you doing yeah all right busy why are we so busy Chris's answer is we want to be busy we want to complexify our lives We don't have to, but we want to. We want to be hassled, always on the go. Because if we actually slowed down and stopped, if we actually took a beat, then we'd have to look at ourselves. We'd see this great gaping hole in our hearts. And we'd be terrified about the emptiness. I think Crete is really insightful there. He says we end up running around like scared little bugs and rabbits, scutching around, always attendant on our machines. Got to look at the phone, the next YouTube video, the next Netflix thing, the, the eight seconds or whatever it is that it clicks to go around, next episode, next episode, until eventually we conk out and go to sleep and wake up and go again because we dare not slow down and see what's really in our hearts and come face to face with God. We dare not face the reality that there is a God who is there and we will meet him. Hence that haunting question, will he accept me? What will it be like to meet him? And of course, in many ways, a right to fear. By rights, if God just did what was right and fair, then it would be terrifying. In fact, if we ignore him until our death, then that is what it will be like. It would be terrifying to meet him. But that's what makes this encounter so extraordinary. 
because this passage, as, long as, as well as giving us a haunting question, gives us a tender welcome. A tender welcome. Just look at what Jesus, God in the flesh, says and does. Verse 40, there's the question. If you will, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, I will be clean. See, three bits of good news there. What Jesus says, what he does, and what he feels. What he says, I am willing. Those are good words to hear. When you come to God with all your mess, all your darkness, all the corruption in the heart, all those thoughts and desires that are so astray, when you come to him lacking the kind of love for him that we're meant to give, lacking the desire for him we're meant to have, and come and say, I I need mercy, I need forgiveness, I need cleansing, what does he say? I am willing. I am willing. He wants to save. It's backed up by his actions. Verse 41, he stretched out his hand and touches the leper. Occasionally, you get these sort of big moments in, in the media, don't you, where someone, someone, usually someone important and sort of famous, touches someone who society would see as unclean. A big one, it's going back a little bit now, I'm showing my age, but Princess Diana, okay, touching someone who had, who had AIDS. And it was, it was beamed all across the world to show that, you know, it's not infectious. These people aren't to be sort of distanced from and run away from. It was this huge news, front page of every newspaper on every news channel. Here Jesus, God himself, reaches out and touches someone who's unclean. And actually, what happens? Immediately the leprosy left him. It's not that the uncleanness flows to Jesus, but the other way around. The leper becomes clean. Again, it is a picture of something even more significant. That God has come down to earth in order to reach out, to, to touch the earth, to gather us in his arms, and to heal us, to forgive us our sin, the uncleanness, uncleanliness rather, that remains in our hearts. His words and his actions speak the same message. Come to me, I am willing, whoever you are. And what's most remarkable, I think, perhaps of all, is how he feels. Verse 41, moved with pity. Now, Pity is maybe not a good word there. It's compassion. That's the word. Don't hear pity as kind of like contempt. It's not that. It's a compassion word. It's actually a word about, about your bowels, your intestines. So, so we talk about, you know, I love you from the depths of my heart, don't we? That's kind of, you know, cheesy Valentine's card. I love you with all my heart. But actually, you know when you feel something really strong? Okay, perhaps it is love or, or excitement or romance. Perhaps it's sort of a bit of fear, nerves. Where do you feel it? You don't actually feel it in your heart, do you? You feel it in your, in your belly, don't you? Yeah, that's where the, the feelings are. And that, that's what the word is. It's kind of, it's like, it's a, it's a word about intestines and guts. It is the compassion, mood with compassion is very busy. He feels compassion. But the heart of God is to feel compassion towards sinners. How does God react when you come to him for mercy? How does Jesus react when you come to him for mercy and forgiveness? With whatever past, whatever wickedness, his heart, his very heart is one of compassion and love. And again, it's not to deny that we're not unclean. It's the mistake we make. We think, well, you know, Christianity must be all about tidying myself up before I can come to God. And as long as I'm good enough, then perhaps he'll accept me. But no, this person comes untidy. He comes without any payment. Jesus doesn't say, well, that'll cost you 10 gold coins. 
He doesn't say, well, how many times have you been to synagogue? How many prayers have you said? How many people have you helped across the road? How much money have you given to charity? How many pilgrimages have you been on? He doesn't ask anything. The leper brings nothing but his leprosy. And Jesus gives everything in return. How is this possible? How is it possible that if we're genuinely unclean people, people who, by rights, don't deserve to be able to come to heaven, who have these hearts that are full of gunk and muck, how is it possible that God could just forgive? Well, there's a clue even in the passage. Do you see what happens? It's strange. Uh, initially, Jesus says, don't go and tell other people. I think that's just because Jesus doesn't yet want a big kind of crowd and fuss. We're early days in his ministry, and he doesn't just want to be seen as a kind of um, sort of magical hospital worker. But what happens in, look down at verse 45. Uh, the man goes out and begins, begins to talk freely about what's happened to him. You probably can't blame him, can you? And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. See what's happened? As the story began, where were we? We had a leper who could only ever live outside the town, could never come inside, was always on his own in desolate desert places. He comes to Jesus, who's in the town with people and popular and his preaching's going well. He comes to Jesus, Jesus heals him, so the leper is now in again. But because of it, Jesus has to go out. It's a picture, ultimately, of what is going to happen later in Mark's gospel, later in Jesus' life, when he'll go to the cross for us, he'll be cast outside the city, nailed to a cross, and cut off for our sins. It is a swap. That ultimately is why Jesus came. He came not just to preach or to heal, although he did those things, but he came to swap places with us. It's as if in this passage, Jesus becomes the leper and the leper becomes the clean man. As Jesus goes to the cross, what happens? Another part of the Bible says this. For our sake, us, our, us lepers' sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Him to be sin. Who did God make sin? Jesus. Jesus knew no sin. He did nothing wrong. His heart was pure spring water, pure fountain water. No corruption. Not once did he ever corrupt his soul. Not once did he do anything, say anything, think anything, feel anything, anything other than pure goodness. And yet on the cross, he goes to the cross and dies because God made him, the clean one, who knew no sin, to be sin. It's as if all the gunk was poured onto him. The corruption of our hearts was given to him. So that, this little verse goes on, in him we might become the righteous of God. There is a total swap. Do you see what's going on? Our dirty hearts are given to Jesus. And he dies in the darkness, cut off, cast out, no one with him. He dies being punished for all the things that we ought to have been punished for. But because all the gunk has been taken from us and is on Jesus, what are we left with? We're left, we're left with Jesus' record instead. We're left as righteous people. It is a free swap. So what held Jesus to the cross? What, 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 what held Jesus to the cross? He wasn't ultimately the nails. He's, the, he's God Almighty. Nails are no problem to him. He could come down in a second. In a sense, it wasn't even our sin that held him there. It, 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 our sin didn't 
force Jesus to come down and die for us. He could have just left us. He'd have been perfectly just to leave us be. What held him to the cross ultimately was compassion, moved with pity, with compassion. It was compassion and love that held Jesus on the cross. It was out of compassion that God's son died for us because he wants, he is willing to cleanse and forgive. That is God's desire. That is what it's like, therefore, to meet God now. If you come to God in Jesus, through Jesus, his son, and say, I need cleansing. I know I'm not as I should be. But forgive me. Cleanse me. He promises he will. His word is the guarantee. I have a friend who's a, a surgeon out in Madagascar. Uh, they're in the sort of middle of nowhere. Um, very kind of um, poor communities uh, out there in the bush. And he says, every now and again, we, we get a woman coming in. I'm not at all medical, so doctors forgive the pronunciation. But he says, we have women coming in with, and I had to write down, uh, vesicovaginal fistula. Okay, doctors, you know what that is. No one else says. Basically, something has gone wrong. Something has gone wrong, and they've suffered for 20 years because they're too ashamed to come to the hospital. And the hospital can sort it out in hours. But they're so ashamed because it's of some intimate parts of the body that they won't come, or they don't come. Uh, they assume they'll be scorned, rejected, turned away. They assume there'll be shame on them for suffering in this way with these body parts. Uh, they fear, in other words, the reaction. And that's what we're like. We, we, we won't slow down and come to God because we fear the reaction. But the good news is he is there with his arms welcome. There was a book written about 400 years ago now called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. And really, in many ways, that's all I'm saying to you here this morning. Whoever you are, Jesus says, come and welcome. Don't hesitate. Don't delay. Don't wait until you've sorted yourself out because you never will do. Uh, don't wait until you can pay because you'll never be able to. Come. And don't trust in anything in yourself. Trust in his compassion. His willingness to make you clean. That is as true for you today, whether you've been a Christian for, for 20 years, 40 years, and are beginning to, to fear that perhaps, perhaps your time is up. You've not been good enough. You've not kept up your end of the deal. You've not been pure enough. You've not been holy enough. No, so just come again. You need this grace every day. Just keep coming. I'll not turn you away if you come. But it's also true if, if, if frankly, this is the first time you've ever heard the word Jesus spoken. You don't need to come with great knowledge and understanding. You don't need to know the Bible from Genesis, the first book, through to Revelation. You don't need to understand the sort of Christian words you've heard floating around. You don't need to understand how to pray. or You just need to come to God in Jesus' name and say, make me clean, forgive me. And he will. The message of Christianity is not complicated. So, will you come? Come for the first time, come for the hundredth time, come for the thousandth time. The only thing that will make you come, come out of the, the bushes as it were, silence, the phone, the TV, the busyness of life, is the compassion, seeing the compassion of God who came down, was willing to go even to death in order that you might be forgiven and cleansed. Oh, we see therefore how serious the issue is. It cost Jesus his life.
And if we won't come, it will ultimately cost us our lives. There is a warning there as well. If we stay in our, our spiritual leprosy, and then facing God will be a terrifying thing after we die or if he returns before then. But come now, and it is compassion, mercy, and welcome. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let me pray before we stand and sing. Lord Jesus, it's an incredible thing uh, to read about, to hear about your willingness to welcome us. Uh, Although we deserve nothing from you, uh, although our hearts are corrupt in all the ways that you said, uh, still you are willing and you are so willing to save uh, that you're willing to go to the cross, go to death, go into the depths of the earth in burial in order that we might be spared such a fate. And instead be welcomed. Pour your spirit on us, we pray. And enable us to see your heart, your love, your mercy, your grace. And might we know your welcome. Might you quell the the doubts that rage within us that you will uh, turn us away. Still the voice of Satan and our sinful nature that tells us we must be better before we can come. Would we look away from ourselves and to you in your kindness alone. For in you is all our hope. Bring us to yourself, we pray. In your own name. Amen.